RNZ National, it's 18 minutes to 11. I'm sitting across from Hayden Donnell in the studio for Midweek Media Watch. Kia ora, Hayden. Kia ora, Karen. Well, I mean, there is only one story that you wanted to start with. What else has there been? Well, it's it's been good to hear a gore-mural debate because you're right, there has only been really one story that I felt like we've talked about for the last 10 days, and that's, of course, the Queen and most of our major news organisations. They sent their premier journalists over to London to wander around for two weeks, and many of those reporters, they seem to arrive in that city and find that very little was happening besides a massive queue was forming along the riverbank. So they had to scramble for content to justify their plane fares. And as a result, we saw stuff like this uh, from one of our, you know, most well-known investigative journalists interviewing corgi owners in a park. So here's Patrick Gower. Corgis are the most famous royals of the animal kingdom. Are they just like the Queen's corgis, exactly the same? Uh, yeah, absolutely. He's a Pembroke uh, Welsh corgi and he's a cardigan Welsh corgi. Ah. So they are two variants of Welsh corgis. <laughs> that wasn't it. I mean, Patrick Gower, he, he went through the animal kingdom. He also managed to wrangle an interview with the royal swan market. It's basically a guy who goes along and sort of pilfers swans uh, for the royals, just marks them out. Apparently the royals own swans by right. Check out that story. I mean, I I don't have time to explain royal swan markers right now, Karen. I'm sorry. Uh, But the corgis were everywhere. At least Patrick Gower was finding English animals that had a connection to the monarchy. Seven, Seven Sharp, they decided to carry an interview with just some average corgi owners from New Zealand. So here is that. About corgis that people um, love so much, and the Queen in particular. I think it's the fact that they're uh, they're small, but they're not a small dog. If you know what I mean, they're a big dog in a small package. <laughs> Interesting stuff. I saw that. I thought it was quite cute. It is. It is really cute, and and it was obviously a really successful segment because the show actually sought out more dog content for its post-Queen future. And so this is how presenter Jeremy Wells led into TVNZ's coverage of Queen Elizabeth's funeral. On the show tomorrow, the visual spectacle that is Dash and Dog Racing. Those are our people today. That was Seven Sharp tonight. Simon and Hilary are up next with coverage of the state funeral of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. We'll see you tomorrow. Ka kite anō. Yep, I see what you mean. <laughs> Bit of a jarring transition there. I have to confess I actually didn't tune in the following night for the visual spectacle of Dash and Dog Racing, uh, but what a teaser that was ahead of quite a, quite a momentous international event. I mean, other there was a, that, that was just... There was there was a lot of tenuously newsworthy stories that got aired in the last 10 days. We had uh, an interview with Terry Wilson, who once trialled to be the Queen's hairdresser, but was unsuccessful because the Queen's actual hairdresser never actually left the job. Uh, that got time and prime time. We also had an interview with some horse breeders who couldn't make the Queen's funeral, which they were sad about. I mean, I'm not really criticising the media here, but basically this was a story where there wasn't a huge amount of developments happening. And 
our news organisations were doing their best with what they had, but it was pretty tough going. What other news was being covered off at the same time? Anything? This is kind of the problem, right? There wasn't too much else being covered, and I think there was some important stuff happening. I saw tonight that, you know, Vladimir Putin's threatening nuclear war. So, I mean, some significant stuff still going on. I do want to note that a few journalists were doing the the mahi on that. Uh, TVNZ's John Campbell went to Kawado to interview the paper mill workers who had secured a pay deal to end the five-week lockout enforced by their employer, Essity, and he interviewed uh, union leaders, union members, the locked-out workers, and then filmed them re-entering the mill to the sound of a karakia. And so just here's a little bit of audio from that. So the lockout is over here at the ST factory in Kawaro, and within a few minutes' time, the workers will work th- uh, walk through that gate and resume their jobs. John Campbell, live there from Kawaro. So yeah, public interest journalism still happening, but these stories definitely have been crowded out quite a lot by the funeral coverage. Uh, so Hayden, were there any people in the media who, who bristled at the amount of Queen funeral coverage? Not many publicly. That would be a very daring position to take, which is why I was surprised to tune into Morning Report just as it was about to go off air to hear Guy and Espiner talking to Australian correspondent Kerry-Ann Walsh uh, like this. And I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, but the saturation coverage, the media saturation coverage is, I don't know, what do you think? It's pretty extraordinary, uh, isn't it? Is it it's, too much? It's, 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 it's you and me, kerry <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. Over now. It's um sorry if I do get you in trouble by airing that again, Guy. But uh, Kerry Ann Walsh went on to complain that the coverage has been drowning out everything else, and including the important stuff. Here's what she had to say: For the first forty-eight hours, I did not think that I was in Australia. I thought I was watching a British channel because there was no other news being covered for three, four, five, six, seven hours at a time on loop. Um, twenty-four hours. And now the following day, Guy Espiner was obviously sucking up his objections and adding to that saturation coverage, adding, adding, adding to the din, dutifully, you know, putting aside those, those objectives and suffering his way through almost three unbroken hours of royal coverage on Morning Report. So RNZ's flagship news show featured no fewer than, I counted this, 15 separate packages on the Queen on Tuesday, the morning after her funeral. There were stories uh, including a Te Aroha Royal, Royal Museum owner's final farewell to the Queen, a Waiuku Church's farewell to the Queen, the Defence Force's farewell to the Queen, and a New Plymouth Royalist re- Reflections on the Queen, uh, which also included a farewell to the Queen. And look, this would be pretty interesting editorial decision-making even if there was a dearth of other news going on, but that wasn't really the case. So on the day of the funeral, the Monday, uh, the National Party revealed the result of an investigation into the behaviour of new Tauranga MP Sam Uffendale, saying the report hadn't substantiated, uh, the report by Maria Jew KC now, hadn't substantiated claims that he had shouted abuse and beaten on the door of a Dunedin flatmate. Well, just to play devil's advocate, the, the Queen's funeral is literally it's literally a once-in-a-lifetime event, so it would seem appropriate, wouldn't it, that the, the media would cover it extensively? Yeah, so a 70-year reign, it is once-in-a-lifetime, literally. Um, and to be clear, I'm not saying that Morning Report shouldn't have covered it, that's absolutely not... What I'm saying, I I just think that maybe arguably on that Tuesday they could have swapped out one reminiscing from a new Plymouth Royalist or a Waiuku church minister for news of a scandal engulfing the party that could form our next 
government, especially considering it was actually RNZ that initially broke the story about Sam Uffendale's flatmate having to escape out the window as he beat on her door. So, I mean, other media made room. The Herald actually led on the Uffendale story on the front page of its paper on Tuesday morning. In general, though, there's probably been a little bit less coverage, or there was a little bit less coverage of that than there would have been otherwise. And in the eyes of some journalists and politician. That was uh, National's design. So Deputy Deputy Prime Minister Grant Robertson, he called the timing of the report's release cynical and disrespectful, and that's pretty tricky territory for someone that might have to face questions over the timing of his own party's press releases in future. I mean, this isn't exactly um, uncommon behaviour from politicians, but he did have backing there from Today FM's morning host Tova O'Brien, who took time out from her tour of duty in London to say this about the timing of the report's release. Ben Thomas joins me now. Ben, thanks very much for being with us. I thought that the National Party's release of the findings on the day of the Queen's funeral absolutely reeked. But what do you reckon? Am I being too precious? Absolutely reeked. Uh, Ben Thomas wasn't so sure about that. He said the report had to come out sometime. Here's how that went. Politics, in some respects, does continue on. Um, You know, as... Christopher Luxon said there may have been criticisms had they held it back, you know, for, for a few more days. Uh, you know, a lot of people were, were keen to see the findings of that report. Oh, and no, and no one more so than me, but I also could have waited a day. Well, even if it was a cynical move to release the report on the day of the Queen's funeral, did it pay off? I mean, has there been less media coverage overall? Yeah, so obviously debate about whether it's truly cynical, but I mean, it certainly paid off on Tuesday's episode of Morning Report, but I'm not sure whether it's paid off in the longer term. So they may have bitten off just a little bit more secrecy than they can chew. The National Party are deciding not to release even an executive summary or the terms of reference for Maria Jew Casey's report. Almost did it. QC Casey, it's very hard transition. Uh, And that's left many in the media and even National's own MPs relying on Luxon's own summary of the report and that hasn't gone gone down too well with them all. So in Newsroom, for instance, we had political editor Joe Moyer writing that it's impossible to form a view of whether Luxon was right to reinstate Sam Uffendale with no report findings or even a redacted executive summary being released in her central assertion which is pretty compelling, is that if National truly believes that Tauranga voters should have known about Uffendale's past before casting their votes in June, then logic follows that they deserve to know why his name has now been cleared by the party. And stuff's Kirsty Johnson and others. They said, you know, the decision sort of smacks of hypocrisy given that National has often criticised the government with some justification over its lack of transparency. And Labour itself, they pointed out that they released an executive summary of a due report that they commissioned into incidents involving interns at their summer camp. Well, if there are two things that political reporters are known for not taking particularly kindly to, it's the suggestion of secrecy or hypocrisy. Absolutely. Those are two things that political reporters are notorious for not loving. And I think the feeling among some journalists that they might not be getting the whole truth or at least the whole unvarnished truth has spurred them to keep covering the story in a way that maybe National hoped wouldn't happen on Monday. So Luxon was repeatedly asked about his decision not to release this report yesterday. And 
I just want to note that additional news on this came from a pretty surprising source, RNZ's The Panel, which isn't known for breaking news. So on yesterday's episode, panellist Mark Sainsbury revealed this interesting fact about the incident which sparked the investigation. Well, Wallace, I've got a slight, not a conflict of interest. I know the young woman who made the complaint. I know her father. Known them both for a long, long time. I knew about this incident before Uffendale even stood for Parliament. I remember when he had to go down and, and, and set her up with a, with, with a new flat. Did he spill any more? Uh, <laughs> was that it? It was kind of not really followed up on. <laughs> so I don't want to criticise Wallace Chapman, but he kind of let one slide there. Uh, I mean, uh, just... Just I, Sainsbury went on to note some of the language that was used in the report, saying noting the contrast between Uffendale himself saying he was cleared, others just saying that the allegations weren't substantiated. But it, it's pretty interesting for Mark Sainsbury to say that he knew about this before even Uffendale's political ambitions were revealed, before he was, you know... It sounded like he was going to talk as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should get Mark Sainsbury on sometime. But, I mean... That's that's interesting, right? So it's obviously something that was being talked about before even this was going on, which sort of seems to add a little bit of credibility to it if you're saying it's not substantiated. Anyway, Luxon and National MPs have said that the decision not to release anything from the report was just so that alleged victims can come forward in confidence, you know, privacy, all that sort of stuff. And they've said that Maria Duke Casey was happy with the summary of her report delivered at the party's press conference on Monday and... Then you had this morning the alleged victim telling RNZ, uh, the, 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 the woman whose uh, door Sam Uffendale allegedly beat on and, and yelled obscenities at, uh, she told RNZ that she stands by her allegations, she'd be happy for National to release a redacted version of the report, and she also revealed that she didn't even participate in the report, that she only released a written version of her statement because she thought it would be a quite political snow job. So RNZ's Susie Ferguson on Morning Report put all that to national leader Christopher Luxon in a pretty tetchy interview that went like this. Sam didn't so are you essentially calling Sam Uffendale's flatmate a liar? Are we going? No, I'm not saying that at all. That's not what I'm saying. All I can tell you is that there were differing accounts from an event 20 years ago. And which account do Maria you believe? Jude, I believe Maria Jew's account. Yeah, so that was uh, Susie Ferguson and uh, Christopher Luxon, and we've kind of come full circle there from Morning Report being totally dominated by Queen News to them putting pressure on the story. Well, it sounds like we haven't heard the end of it just yet, so thank you very much, Hayden. I'm going to play a track for you now to take us up to the 11 o'clock news. It's a band called uh, The Big Moon. You heard of them? I have not heard of The Big Moon. I'm very excited about the laneway announcement, though. Will you? Yes. Isn't it good to hear gigs being announced? I, well, yeah. Things coming to town. Yeah, I love Phoebe Bridges. I know I'm old, but you no, know, you don't be old to like Phoebe Bridges, isn't? Don't you? I mean, I just I just know the big bands now. I don't know, I don't know half the bands on the lower half of that bill. I'm sorry, I am getting old. <laughs>